Well, uh, we've been considering, as we've been leading up to Christmas in this season of Advent, we've been considering uh, several texts from the Old Testament. And I, I thought it would be helpful in way of review um, prior to a short, um, some short thoughts from some verses in Micah, just to think again what we've been thinking about. What have we been learning about? And the idea, the encouragement that I have for you tonight is that, you're, that as we are anticipating tomorrow, as we're anticipating Christmas, as, as we thought about these sermons and how the people of the Old Testament were anticipating Christ, let's let our anticipation uh, turn into adoration, into worship. And let's let our, our, our thoughts of God, our theology, uh, turn into doxology, turn into praise. And so that's really where I want to position our hearts tonight is just to consider God's word, and then allow that anticipation of uh, who Christ is and what and who He is to the world to turn into worship for us. So we were uh, we started out at the end of November in First um, Chronicles chapter seventeen, and there uh, we were looking at how God was speaking to David. David had King David wanted to build a house for God, and God reoriented his heart and said, "No, I'm going to build a house for you, and I'm going to establish your." A throne forever. And uh, we thought about God's promise to establish that throne through this ruler that would come, this king that would be in the line of David. And then we kind of went back in time, and we were in Numbers 24, um, this king that will come out of the house of Jacob. That's what we were thinking about in Numbers 24. He would, he would come, and he would subdue all his enemies. So we're thinking about this king that would come, this promised king that would sit on the throne of David and how he would come and reign over all of Israel's enemies and how he would come um, and he would really bring everyone into judgment. And we, we considered our own sins and transgressions and how we would be held accountable for those things and how this, this king would establish his rule over all the earth. He's, de- he's described as coming as a star out of Jacob and having a scepter that would crush the heads of all of God's enemies. It was this awesome picture that it kind of shakes you, maybe shakes some of the pictures that you have of Christ, uh, and to recognize that he also is a ruler and he will reign over all the earth and he will subdue all his enemies. Our, our third sermon in the series was Isaiah 7. And here we remember the, the famous uh, prophecy of the virgin who would bear a son whose name would be Emmanuel, God with us. Um, we read of the pending judgments of Israel and Judah by Assyria, and uh, we thought about King Ahaz and how he really should have remembered that he was in the line of David. He was in the line of this King David that was going to come and rule, and that he, sh- he should have realized that, and yet he was faithless. He was a wicked king, and he didn't believe the promises. He didn't want a sign, and yet uh, Isaiah gave him a sign anyway and said, a virgin will give birth. Um, and we just also consider the various threats that seek to undermine our belief in the promises of God. And then last week, we were in Micah 5, um, thinking about another famous prophecy that, that the Messiah, the, the ruler that would come for Israel, would be born in Bethlehem, and how he would be a shepherd over his people. We saw that even though God was going to discipline his children because of their sins, he would not forget them, but he would call them from exile. Uh, we saw also the ruler would be a good and faithful shepherd and that his people would be secure and in secure pastures. And so tonight, I just want to spend a few more minutes in Micah 
at the very end of Micah's book. So Micah chapter 7, verses 18 through 20. Three verses, going to make three points and just consider and have us consider who uh, this Messiah is and what he will do. Micah chapter 7, verses 18, 19, and 20. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgressions for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread at he will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. This is how Micah ends his book of prophecy. He's, he's causing the, his, his hearers, his readers, to look forward to their sins uh, being um, pardoned by God and that he's, he's tying this together with this ruler, this shepherd that is going to come. And how, how all this ties together is what we're going to be spending just a few minutes on tonight. So, verse uh, 18, uh, really just want to pick up on a few uh, key attributes of who God is and how he's described in this verse. Uh, just consider his otherness. Uh, he is a God like no other. Uh, we think of the passage from Exodus 15, uh, where it, uh, when when they've come out of the land of their captivity and they've crossed the Red Sea and there's a song of Moses and he, he talks about um, how God is majestic in holiness, awesome in his glorious deeds, doing wonders. This is, this, this is the song of the children of Israel. They're considering how their God who just freed them from captivity is like no other God. Or think of Psalm 103, just a few verses from 103. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So that's another key attribute that Micah's bringing out for us tonight. God is steadfast in love. He doesn't waver. He is steadfast. And he's full of compassion. He knows that we're full of sin and that we need mercy. And so he's a compassionate God. 103 goes on to say, He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. I want to consider a prophecy from Jeremiah. This one verse from Jeremiah, maybe two. Jeremiah 50. He's actually speaking to this exact same uh, time frame. He's, he's considering these children that are in exile and how God is going to rescue them from the king of Babylon. He's going to bring them back. And it's very curious what he says. Um, he uses some of the very same language and words and imagery that Micah uses earlier in chapter 7. Um, but then, uh, so I'm in Jeremiah 50. The little snippet starts in 17, and, but to save my voice, I'm just going to read verse 20. It says, in those days, so he's, he's talking about the days when, when the, the children will be returned from exile. They'll be returning from uh, their captivity in Babylon. He says, in those days and in that time, declares the Lord, iniquity shall be sought in Israel, and there shall be none, and sin in Judah and none shall be found, for I will pardon those whom I leave as a remnant. 
It's very, very curious. He's saying that you would try to go find iniquity and sin in the land of Judah and Israel, which was full of sin and iniquity, right? That's why they were sent into exile. That's why God sent so many enemies to to bring discipline to them. He said, you're going to go look for it and not find it. You won't be able to find it. And so the, the question that I would just like to pose to us tonight for us to consider is how, how did God plan to do this? How was he going to deal with Judah and Israel's sin so that if you went to look for it, you wouldn't be able to find any? Um, it's very a curious thing because we know that that uh, their land, when they came back from captivity, they continued to be uh, to worship other gods and to and to be full of sin. And they, in the time of Jesus, when Jesus arrives on the scene, they're still a brood of vipers. They're still uh, persecuting one another. Um, so the obvious question is, how is God going to deal with this sin? And for that, we'll turn briefly to Romans three. I want to tie this together for us because God can't just pass over our sin. It requires uh, the life of the one who sinned. It requires blood and sacrifice. And here he says he's going to, you're going to look in the land of Israel and you won't be able to find any sin. Romans chapter 3 verse 21 brings it together for us and he says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. So there's that sacrifice. Jesus Christ come a sacrifice. Verse 25, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God has to condemn our sin, but he condemns it in Jesus. Jesus bared it for us. He was this propitiation. He laid his life down to redeem us. So this is the one that Micah's talking about, right? This is the one that's going to come as a ruler, as a shepherd. He's going to shepherd his people, but the shepherd is actually laying his life down for the sheep. And that's what we learn as we, as we come, into, uh, the, come into Bethlehem and see the baby Jesus, who uh, we are told, the angels tell the shepherds that he will, be, he will bring peace. It's by his blood. Verse 19, the second verse that we'll consider, Micah 7 Look at the imagery here. He says, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. And it, and it just it bears uh, thinking on for just a second that our iniquities, are, our sin, are the things that separate us from God. That was the reason that the children, again, like I said, went into exile. It's the reason that we have problems in our life with God. Our relationship with God is tainted because of our sin. It is what God's wrath falls on. It is why we are... Um, held in judgment by God because of our sin towards him. It's what led Adam and Eve out of the garden to be expelled from paradise. It's what brings bodily death and the judgment. And here God is promising that their iniquities, did did you catch the imagery that he's going to tread their sins underfoot? They're going to be completely vanquished and completely tread underfoot, completely done away with. Our enemy 
is our own sin. And in this picture we have in Micah chapter 7, verse 19, we see that it is utterly defeated and removed from us. Let's take and amplify that and through the lens of Jesus Christ and through what he accomplished. Romans chapter 6, verse six um, starting in verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So that, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. In Hebrews chapter 2, the last verse we'll consider tonight. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Now we're considering Jesus who has come in the flesh, this promised Messiah who has come and been born in Bethlehem, who grows up and declares that the kingdom has come, and then he goes to the cross and lays his life down. This is what the writer of Hebrews has to say about that. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, that's us, you and I, the children, he, which is Jesus, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So in Jesus Christ, we not only have freedom from sin, we not only have forgiveness of sins, but we also see that death itself is conquered. It's trampled under. It's nothing to be afraid of anymore. That Jesus took on flesh, that he might come to the children of God, that he might come to the children who also bear flesh and free us from the fear of sin, the fear of God's judgment, the fear of death. Micah ends his book with chapter with verse 20. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. I don't know if you've ever heard someone say, claim the promises of God. If you've heard that phrase kind of in Christian lingo, you know, claiming, claiming God's promises. Well, this is a, a tremendous example of Micah claiming a promise of God. He, he knows that God is a steadfast God. Uh, who will do what he said he will do, who will keep his covenants. And so he's reflecting back on the covenants that God made with Abraham and with uh, Jacob. And he's saying that his confidence in that God is going to send a Savior and is going to deal with man's iniquities and deal with our sin is rooted in God's very character. It's rooted in the fact that God freely makes covenants with man, and even though we don't keep our covenants, God is steadfast and he is faithful. And so... He's rooting this prophecy in the fact that, uh, in this promise, he's sort of claiming the promise, if you will. You will show faithfulness to Jacob. He's not demanding it of God. He's just reflecting on the fact that God has promised these things to Jacob and to Abraham. And that he's sworn these things to their fathers from of old. And he's, he's resting in them. He's counting in them. And he's looking forward to what we look back on in the manger. He's looking forward to. And he knows that God will do it because God is steadfast in love. Let's pray together. Father, we desire that our anticipation of this um, Christmas season would turn into adoration, that it would turn into worship as we consider our own sins, Father, 
as we consider the things that have separated us from you, our own self-righteousness, our, our own creed, our own wanting to be the king of our own lives and do things our way and be masters of our own fate and uh, wanting to um, ignore you, Father. Father. These are perhaps the sins that come to uh, my mind because they're the ones closest to me. We each would consider our own sins before you, Father, and recognize that they separate us from you. And you are so faithful that you sent a Savior, and he took on flesh that he might lay his life down to be that propitiation. We, we look to Christ in the manger and recognize that it is this fulfillment of what the law and the prophets testified would happen, what Micah is testifying in his book would happen, how you would come and rescue your people from their sins and trample their iniquity underfoot. And you have done that in Christ. We, we pray, Father, that you'd be working in our lives to cause us to love Jesus Christ and to love what he has done and to consider him, uh, to value him, to esteem him, to adore him in our hearts, to um, lay down our own will for our lives and, and pick up our cross and follow Christ, to be a disciple of Christ and to follow him all the days of our life, to know your um, love and kindness on us because of Jesus. We're grateful for this season. We do anticipate tomorrow with, with joy of being with family and being gathered together and considering uh, the gifts perhaps that are under the tree. Um, but we know and recognize that we have received such a great gift in Jesus. And that is what we prize above all things. And so with, with that, Father, we give you thanks in his name. Amen.